My name is Lou Moore. I'm the president of the Washington Research Council. And with me today is a special guest, somebody who's uh, been a keynote at an annual dinner of the Research Council, uh, Dr. Rick Evans, who is now at the University of Chicago. Rick, uh, welcome once again to Policy Today. Hey, Lou, thanks so much for having me back. I'm a big fan. Well, uh, and we're big fans of your work as well, which is why we've uh, asked you to be on this uh, on this podcast again. So um, when last we spoke, you were uh, talking uh, very evangelically and very optimistically about the future of open source modeling and how it could be applied to uh, social policy and economic policy, uh, more specifically, in the country. So... Um, <clears throat> Just let me ask you this question first. Uh, What kind of an increase are we experiencing year over year in terms of the computational power of some of these uh, computer models? I mean, frankly, it's huge. And the truth is, I mean, we're not even, in terms of economic modeling uh, and tax modeling especially, we're not even coming close to leveraging all the power that's out there right now. I mean, I, I think we're doing a good job of using the cloud to do lots of computations and allow people to use these kind of big esoteric models that require a lot of expertise, allow them a way to use them, kind of the layperson to use them. Uh, But there's so much more that we can do. I think we're only scratching the surface and uh, the development of these models, making them richer, making them more powerful, more descriptive. I, I think there's a ton of stuff, great work going on in that direction. So are you saying that that the computational power is out there but but folks haven't uh, don't have the bandwidth or haven't taken the time to to use that uh, ability to calculate uh, you know infinitesimal number of formulas or numbers uh to to come out with different different results is that what you're saying? Well, I, I'm actually saying it, it's a pretty nuanced thing that I'm trying to say in general the whole field of economics is slowly catching up with um, how far computational power has gone and how much is available right now. So in economics, we're only starting to get our models um, to the level of richness that can really take full advantage of all the supercomputing that's available and um, all the cloud resources. Now, in the very narrow area of tax policy, which you and I have discussed at length, the models that we use to evaluate congressional proposals of tax reform in general are very simple models. And then uh, when you get to the richest of those models, which tend to be general equilibrium models with lots of different types of agents in those models, even those, uh, as rich as they are, don't harness the full computational power that's available uh, today. Wow. And so I, I think, I mean, that's an area that I, I teach in at the University of Chicago. That's an area that I, I do my research in. And, you know, we're trying to push that out. And it's, it's how do we get the theory to catch up with the computational abilities? And there's lots of great work going on in that area. Sure. So uh, I should stop you for a second and ask, uh, I kind of blipped over the biographic part of, uh, of this podcast, but you are the director of the Open Source Macroeconomics Laboratory at the University of Chicago. Can you speak to that for a moment? Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the really exciting things that I do. I get to work with 
kind of the best undergraduate students from all over the country, University of Chicago included. But this was our first year running it at the University of Chicago. We basically bring 25 of the best students from around the country, around the world, really, to the University of Chicago for seven weeks, and it's truly a boot camp. And they learn computation, mathematics, economics, and it's intensive and immersive, but it's also open source. Like, I only have the the bandwidth to do this for 25 students in person every summer, but we make the curriculum openly available so anyone can use it. And um, I think we're trying to really promote and push this idea of making these resources for learning open access so that everybody can can learn it not just the ones who are lucky enough to get into this boot camp sure sure well uh, uh, you know i can i can kind of hear the excitement in your voice and i mean i can see that there is a tremendous amount of untapped potential uh, involved in all this yeah, you know, the mission of that open source macro lab is really to create a pipeline of of new researchers who can push this stuff forward in the future. And it's, you know, that's just a really fulfilling endeavor to be a part of. I love it. Sure. So uh, turning our attention to uh, current events, uh, n- nothing unusual in Washington, D.C. Uh, we're in another, and we're just actually really engaging in a uh, another tax cut debate and so with that in mind uh can you give us a quick refresher on the difference between static and dynamic scoring in terms of uh, uh legislation that would be considered in uh, in our nation's capital yeah this is a really fascinating one to me uh, when you look at how the effects of tax policy changes are estimated. Most often it's done with what you mentioned. It's called static scoring models. These are models where basically you hold all the overarching stuff in the economy constant. And it's, well, here's the exercise. Let's say you you cut income tax rates. Uh, The static model is going to take the characteristics of everyone in the economy and cut the income tax rates and see what the tax liability, how the tax liability for everyone in the economy changes. So that's assuming that people's income that they report doesn't change, how much they work doesn't change. Whereas in reality, so that's a static score. It's holding kind of the household behavior constant. In a dynamic score, what you it, you have some more realistic assumptions where if if you cut my tax rates i might actually work more so mm-hmm. so the money i bring to the table when i file my 1040 for the irs i might bring more money to the table because my taxes have gone down it's worth more for me to work so i change my behavior and and so what you see is people change their behavior in response to tax policy dynamic scoring accounts for that so you might see when you cut income taxes, you might see interest rates change, and you might see wages change, and you might see the total output of the economy change. Those things all feed back to the individuals, and dynamic scoring models account for those feedback effects. Mm-hmm. 
Sure. So what is the the status of dynamic scoring in Washington, D.C.? I know at one point CBO was being directed to undertake that to some degree. And, of course, that was a few years back and times, uh, you know, things evolve and develop. So where, where are we at today as far as using that as a policy tool? Yeah, so when I talked to you two years ago, um, the CBO was being uh, requested slash mandated to to do dynamic scoring. They've been building the tools to do that. Tax Policy Center think tank at Brookings and Urban has been doing it for a while. Uh, The Joint Committee on Taxation has been doing it for a while. And and there's a group at, at Wharton, the Penn Wharton Policy Initiative, that is doing it. But the, the strange thing about that is all of these models, dynamic scoring models, are closed source and proprietary. And just as somebody who has built one of these models, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of assumptions inherent in there. And so there are all these different levers that you can change and get different results. It's hard to imagine how someone how someone can believe or trust results that, uh, for which I, I can't test their sensitivity to the underlying assumptions. I can't even see what all the underlying assumptions are. So what we've been doing is trying to build um, both static scoring models and dynamic scoring models that are open source. So anyone can look at the underlying assumptions, anyone can tweak those assumptions. And instead of getting in fights where I say, hey, you're stupid, or you're a Democrat, or you're a Republican, you can say, hey, I don't like this assumption, or I, I, I think you should change this assumption. And that's just such a more constructive uh, approach to policy analysis and just pushing knowledge forward. Yeah, well, it seems that, uh, you know, we hear the word transparency all the time, and transparency and democracy seem to uh, to, to be two different ideals that we seek to, to achieve in this society. It would make perfect sense if we're going to look at uh, uh, issues as central as tax policy, and we're going to use any kind of computer modeling, that, that the sources, uh, the way these models are constructed, would be open to public scrutiny. Yeah. Now, first of all, let me say I've worked with the people at CBO and JCT and Tax Policy Center, and and I think that they are very good at being nonpartisan. And even though they're not totally transparent, um, I'm pretty convinced that uh, that they're doing their best to model things properly without any um, influence from sure. politics or those incentives. Mm-hmm. That's and also I, I'll I'll say that there is an argument to be made for those places like the Joint Committee on Taxation to not make their models public. I mean, they have this really difficult job of turning out these estimates on a quick timetable. Mm-hmm. And if they also had to fight political battles of people disagreeing with them all the time, it would be really hard. Now, I don't fully agree with that reasoning, but it is out there and it is a potentially valid reason for them. I just think that the the extra costs that come with transparency mm-hmm. far outweigh sorry the extra benefits that come with transparency far outweigh the costs sure and i would think particularly if you're looking to evaluate a program or a system or a tax regime that's already in place it would be exceedingly valuable to uh, to do this open source modeling in that process yeah, that's right. But one thing you inevitably see, though, in these models is that they are all imperfect. All models are wrong 
some of them are useful. And mm-hmm. so the, one, one barrier to making your models open source is, is a modeler might think, well, that's gonna, everyone's going to see that we're making this assumption or that assumption or this weakness of the model or that one. And that's just, that's a really important thing to make transparent. I mean, let's just mm-hmm. be honest that we know these models are imperfect. We know we're simplifying the real world to a large degree in some areas, and we're trying to be care- really careful about it in other areas. And that level of transparency is just really an important thing to make open and to allow to be in the debate. And, and I think that's where we have kind of innovation, is where we see weaknesses and and we, we improve those. Sure, sure. So um, in Washington State, Rick, I don't know if you followed this at all, but uh, uh, kind of surprisingly, at the end of a uh, of the budget negotiation last year, uh, the Republicans in the Senate that control the Senate here and the Democrats who control the House agreed uh, to a uh, business and occupation tax, a gross receipts tax cut for manufacturers. And our governor uh, vetoed that tax cut, and that's uh, that, that was a controversial move. And uh, and of course, uh, any kind of tax cut is a controversial move in this state. So, uh, w- uh, would you be able to tell me that uh, there is a capability today for folks out here uh, to take some of this open source uh, technology, so to speak, and uh, and to model what that tax cut might have done in the economy? Is that something that, that that's is possible at this point in time oh yeah absolutely and i mean i live in illinois which is its own kind of fiscal dumpster fire (laughs) which actually makes it a great laboratory for policy experiments i mean illinois is in trouble connecticut's in trouble i think you're probably sitting pretty nicely in washington state your education system is funded your your pensions aren't too far out of whack um, no, true. But, you, you, true. but you, don't, you, you have an interesting laboratory there in that there's no state income tax, and so you really rely on these business taxes and sale of property taxes. And, you know, at the very simplest level, one thing that can easily be done is who, whatever government organizations, sometimes their models are just on a spreadsheet, but that do these forecasts of how different tax policies will affect the state uh, budget numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the very simplest level, you could make a version of those spreadsheet models available online so you can essentially crowdsource different policy options that are possible and let let people play with the parameters of the model and see what that does to government revenues and and maybe more important is somehow see who the winners and losers are from different policies because at at the source of it that's the real debate is if we do policy x who wins who loses and what's best for the state and so there are models existing i'm sure in the state of washington where uh, the only the only hurdle to really making those open is is providing an outlet or an avenue for those to be used by kind of a, a broader group of, of researchers and even just normal citizens. Mm-hmm. Now, on the more sophisticated level, to build a, a tax policy model at the state level, you've got to have somebody go through and kind of write the computer code that, that codes up kind of the state tax law, basically make turbo tax for the state of Washington where instead of just putting one individual's information in, you're putting 
kind of a representative sample of everybody in the state through that tax software and also the businesses. And then the last step you've got to include is kind of behavioral responses. In, in economics, we call those elasticities. But you've got to have some, some things that are really important to Washington State are if, if you increase or decrease a tax on a certain industry, how much of that industry will leave the state? That's a real consideration. You've got Amazon building a new headquarters um, somewhere yet to be determined in the country. Boeing has done that in the past. It feels like Amazon's kind of taking a page from the Boeing playbook there of kind of diversifying their headquarters portfolio. Yeah, you are following our, our news uh, fairly closely out here, Dr. Evans. <laughs> I, I feel like every state in the country is putting together some proposal for Amazon to, to come. Uh, yes, indeed. And Illinois, Chicago is certainly one of those cities. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the tax consideration is if you change your tax policy, there's going to be winners and losers. How many new winners are going to come in if the policy is um, favorable to them, and if the policy is not favorable to a group, how many of them are going to respond by leaving? I mean, if sure. you were to implement a, implement a state income tax in Washington, how many uh, high-earner residents would leave the state? Mm-hmm. I mean, those kinds of questions have to factor into any estimates of the effects of tax policy changes. Yeah, for so sure. you need those three things. You need uh, to, to code up the tax law in the state you need um some good data on the demographics and characteristics of people who live there and the industries uh that are located there and then you need to make some assumptions about behavioral responses of those individual agents and and firms to tax policy changes and when you have those three things you've built kind of your first little static model with behavioral responses of tax policy. Mm-hmm. Now, every state in the country can do that. A lot of states do do that, and uh, certainly there are consulting firms that build those models. But again, when they're closed source and proprietary, there are so many underlying assumptions. I feel like I could take any of those models and make them say whatever I wanted just by putting different assumptions into those models. Well, that's been the skepticism for years of of any kind of computer modeling, whether it's the salmon runs, which they've done around here, a part of the Endangered Species Act listing, or or what you're talking about, tax policy. Yeah, that's right. Fascinating. Uh, Rick, uh, really appreciate taking a few minutes uh, to talk to, for you to take a few minutes to talk with us today. Is there anything else you want to leave us with? Well, I would just say anyone interested in monitoring our progress on building these models, these open source models, can go to ospc.org. That's Open Source Policy Center, ospc.org. We've got two, oh, we've got probably about six different models that people can use by going to ospc.org slash taxbrain or ospc.org slash CCC for cost of capital calculator. Um, but all, all the models that drive those web applications are open source and available on GitHub, and I can send you the links to those. 
Okay, wonderful. Well, uh, Rick, uh, thank you again for being with us today. This is Lou Moore uh, hosting Policy Today, uh, a uh, product of the Washington Research Council. And uh, we want to thank Dr. Rick Evans from University of Chicago for joining us. And we want to thank you for joining us as well. 